With your EWTN Newslink, I'm Brian Patrick. Leaders of the Group of Seven Wealthy Nations conclude their first face-to-face meeting in two years, pledging more than a billion coronavirus vaccine doses to poorer nations. They also voiced vague support for human rights in China. U.S. President Joe Biden visits with Queen Elizabeth II at Windsor Castle Sunday. Her Majesty invited Biden and his wife, First Lady Jill Biden, for tea. It's Biden's third visit with the long-reigning monarch, his first as president. Baltimore Archbishop William Lorry calls on the Knights of Columbus to be in the forefront of a national Eucharistic revival project to be presented to U.S. bishops next week. The Supreme Chaplain for the Knights says the project aims to help Catholics reclaim their faith in the Eucharistic Lord. For more news from a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. The Doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi starts now. The Doctor is in is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs> Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Apparently, the the young lady there with the southern accent is in Georgia. Because she said, I in Georgia. You're in Georgia. No, I in Georgia. You're in Georgia. No, my my mother and I both in Georgia. I love the accent. I'm Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. This is our Monday version, our e-person Monday. I do not say email. Somebody wrote into me once and said, what are you so, what are you so reluctant to say email? It's not M-A-L-E. It's M-A-I-L. You can say it. I say, oh, no. Oh, no. It sounds the same. I could get in trouble. Heck, people have gotten in trouble for using a word that is correct, but it sounded like a word that our culture wants to cancel. So I'm just I'm just going to say e-person, and I'm, I'm risking it just having S-O-N, son, at the end of that, because that's the male indication of an offspring. <clears throat> Enough badinage, persiflage. Good to have you with me. We're going to get to some of these e-persons momentarily. I'd like to give you an authority test. Now, this is a test that I often will give to clients who come to the office and are convinced that their child is this demon child that nobody on God's earth could raise, or that they've tried everything, nothing works, Or the child is just impervious to discipline. I will pull out my authority test. Here's how it works. I'll give it to you now. Take the child 
identify the child, that gives you the most discipline problem. If you're, ra- if you're still in raising kids right now, and particularly if you have a number of children, number meaning plenty number, because any number of children, one is a number of children, take the child who gives you the most discipline challenge, if you will. How many times a day, on average, when that child is home, like a Saturday, if the child goes to school, take a Saturday. Child's awake for, let's say, let's say 12 hours. Probably more, but let's just say 12. How many times would this child misbehave? And what I'm going to do, I'm going to extrapolate this, not from you, because you may not have quite these numbers but I will draw a parallel to what I hear in the office most often. I'll ask the parent, how many times a day does this child misbehave? I have to define misbehave for them very clearly. I have to operationally define it. For example, if he gets into a tussle with his sister and he calls her a name, and then 12 seconds later he yells at her, Six seconds after that, he he grabs something from her. Now, that is not one piece of misbehavior. That's three. If you ask him to do something and he ignores you, and then you tell him a second time, he ignores you again, and you tell him louder a third time, and he comes back with some snotty remark, I'll get it. That is not one piece of misbehavior. That is three. So if you get specific about the numbers of misbehaviors per day, whether it's a defiance, whether it's blowing you off, whether it's ignoring, whether it is snotty tone of voice, whether it's a eye roll, whatever it might be, how many? I usually hear something like, oh, <laughs> But that'd be hard to count. That that it, it just happens a lot. That'd be hard to count. I said, I need a number. I got to have a number. I, I, I don't know. I said, how about 50? Oh, no, that sounds like a lot. Now, wait a minute. If he's awake 12 hours a day, that's four an hour. Oh, he can total that one, one argument with me. That's right, because every time he comes back and argues with you is one. Okay, then I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give, I'll give you 50. I'll give you 50. How many times a day does this child get disciplined? In other words, there's a consequence. He goes to the corner, he puts his head down at the dining room table, he goes to bed early, loses the privilege, you take what he threw. What, whatever it is, something happens as a result, discipline-wise, of his misconduct. And, here's the big qualifier, he accepts it. In other words, if he has to go to the corner, he goes. And he doesn't carry on, and he doesn't yell and argue, and doesn't throw a fit, and doesn't nag to come out. He accepts it. Now, I will tell you, the average parent says somewhere between zero and two. And that accepting it aspect of the whole scenario is what brings it down to zero. 
Because they may get him to go to the corner after a, a particular pushy verbal brawl, but he didn't go simply because mom or dad said, go to the corner, please. But let's take two, which I would say mm, only about 5% of the parents who come in my office will say as high as two. I had one mom say five or six once, okay, and I, I immediately complimented her. But she said, but let's say two. All right. We have two consequences, two discipline consequences, and we have 50 pieces of daily misbehavior. Without your calculator, what is two divided by 50? What percent is that? It's 4%. That is the discipline consistency level, 4%. The good news is this. Most of us function somewhere between 10 and 20% discipline consistency. And that's usually enough. It usually works. None, none of us are even remotely close to 100%. Not even close. Me included. 4% discipline consistency level doesn't work at all. Because the other 96% of the time, nothing is happening other than words or arguments or warnings or yellings or reasonings or negotiatings, threats. So no matter what you try, we've tried everything. Nothing works. That's right. Because nothing works at a 4% level. Nothing but we sent him to his room. We took everything out of his room. We, he, he, got, he had a mattress on the floor. We took all of his toys, all of his stuffed animals. We took all of his book. We took everything. Yes. And you've done that once, right? Which is, which is nuclear warhead discipline, I'll admit. But it happened because you were pushed to your limit. Because you'd had enough. And then you did that. But keeping in mind the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the past week or month that there's been conflict, friction, arguing. So yeah, okay, that that was a big one, but but really that the consistency level is still very low. The authority test. Now if you want to take that and extrapolate that to your home, your particular home, do the numbers. Do the numbers. That'll, that'll help you to understand what you need to do to actually get some more cooperation and less ugliness regarding discipline. It'll help you. And that's really what you want. You want a more peaceful home. You don't want to be at each other's throats like this when it comes time to discipline. That makes you go to confession every other day. So, do the authority test. Check your numbers. And then let's try to get into the 10 to 20% consistency level. I think you'll notice a dramatic improvement. I'm Dr. Ray.
Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. If you believe in the power of prayer, Ave Maria Radio invites you to look at their website to submit a prayer request at AveMariaRadio.net. Your prayer requests are shared with hundreds at the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the Servants of God's Love, the Monastery of the Blessed Sacrament Cloistered Nuns, the Family of Faith Apostolate, and the staff of Ave Maria Radio. Just go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on the Community tab to submit your prayer request today. How can we have faith and be transformed by the gospel? What part can we play in recreating the world for God's good plan? Once we understand that the gospel is not merely good news, but explosive, life-changing news, our life will never be the same. In Father John Ricardo's new book, Rescued, the Unexpected and Extraordinary News of the Gospel, he helps us to see the world through the lenses of God with a clear vision of the plot and the outcome of the story that we're living through. You can get Rescued and Father John's other great books on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. I was so frustrated. I could, yesterday I was at the at the Y and some guy on the treadmill put a water bottle in the Pringles holder. I couldn't believe that. And I said, "Hey, that's where I put my Pringles." I'm putting a water bottle in there. All right, E Person Monday. Greetings, Doctor Ray. Our ability to fall fast asleep has greatly increased since we started playing your podcast at bedtime. And here I used to think that reading the column in our church bulletin did the trick. I've been misled the entire time. (laughs) He says, okay, okay, okay. On a serious note, I'm writing to see if you could talk about the benefits of the COVID pandemic. pandemic. Now, I have have talked about it. Um, The... (laughs) <laughs> the intelligence ch- test, the Wexler Adult Intelligence Scale WISC, has a section in it on reasoning. And one of the questions was, is, what does this axiom mean? It's an ill wind that blows no good. Well... Okay, it is an ill wind that blows no good. In other words, everything, pretty much, no matter how bad it is, usually has some benefit somewhere for someone. And I think that's happened with COVID. As as much as it has put our lives 
upside down, as much as it has created unbelievable fear, as much as it has done so much damage at so many levels, there are benefits. He goes on. As a cradle Catholic, whose wife is a convert to the faith, I have a very different outlook on life. God has blessed our family tremendously in a year that most of us would rather just forget or attempt to erase. With mainstream media driving sane people to the edge of a cliff, without faith and trust in our Lord, I'm not surprised with all the psychological and physical dimensions that COVID has caused. However, in our family, we've noticed a cohesiveness and a positive shift within our children. Just this morning, my wife said, did you see that? Over my wife's shoulder, our youngest son was brushing the hair of our second youngest daughter. The youngest son was seven. Second youngest daughter was nine. We've watched our children, ages 16, 11, 9, and 7, become more willing to help each other with homework, do house chores. And they've been more willing to share and give with us outside of our family. I think this is the summary line. Our children just seem to enjoy the things that at one time seem boring and dumb. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I could see that in the context of a go-go, get-get, do-do, have-have childhood existence. When that has been dramatically curtailed, yes, there are those kids who will say, I can't take this. But there will be those kids who will find ways to get enjoyment in things that would have been unthinkable before. He goes on. It would be awesome to hear from other families and your encounters that have shown a positive experience in the midst of a COVID pandemic disaster. Even a Debbie Downer or a stick-in-the-mud type person who knew our family before COVID couldn't argue with the shift in our family dynamic. It's nothing short of a miracle. In the event that this makes the list of topics you're looking to discuss, be assured that we are all ears. There is nothing better than the good news. This is a dad of four. I've heard this from a lot of folk. A lot of folks saying, yeah, you know, well, what's happened is we've, we've had more meals together in the last year than we've had, I think, in the last ten. Yeah. We're playing games. I can't believe we're playing games as a family. We spent more time talking to people via Skype, face page, face snaps, snap face. Uh, what are those called? My face? I don't know. But that's true. There has been that. There have been those little twinkling lights all over the place. It is an ill wind that blows no one any good. And I think there are those who have found ways. <laughs> yeah, I know when we were locked down back in March, April, May of this past year, I painted my whole kitchen 
all the cupboards, all the casing, all the baseboards, all of it. A job that would have taken had I been working, oh, oh, would have spread out over a couple of months, squoze in on free time. I took about a week and a half, two weeks, did it all. So pulled that out of it. Without, or this is, this is a different email, without insulting or offending my neighbor, how do I go about explaining to her that I don't want my adult son to drive her 16-year-old daughter to work? Well, see, you had to go say without insulting or offending my neighbor. This is what we always want to do. We always want to find a way to say something to someone that they might not want to hear in such a way that they'll accept it. This is something in therapy that all experienced therapists have to gain skill at. How do you present certain, if you will, truths to a client who doesn't want to hear it? And they will, as a result, leave therapy because of it. How do you do this? Are there ways? Not always. When someone says, how do I explain to my neighbor, my mother-in-law, my spouse, my adult children? That's easy. You can explain it. But if you say, how do I explain it that they won't get upset? How do I explain it that they accept it? How do I explain it that they understand what I'm saying? Oh, well, now you've just dramatically lowered the odds. She goes on. It is because of this woke and me too that has made me nervous. Her daughter could falsely claim that my son was inappropriate. Not that my son would, and I really don't think her daughter would. But if she did lie, she would be believed over my son. I really like this neighbor and her daughter. But in this atmosphere, I don't want to take any chances. Yeah, it's sad. We've lost so, so much with the decline of morals in a culture, with turning away from the Judeo-Christian base that pretty much guided the majority of American people in its past. That's no longer the case. And as a result, so much is lost. So very, very much is lost. All cars are locked now. All doors are locked now. Everybody has security systems. It's just so, so very... You don't go out of certain places at night. You, it's, you get yourself a big dog for security. All of this. When my mom and dad were growing up, you never talked about any of it. Hey, Dad, you ever lock your doors? No, no, no. Okay. And I remember him saying, that we just left keys in the car. I'm just going to take the car. So this is what has happened. What would have otherwise been an act of kindness and charity to a neighbor, hey, I can take you to work, no problem, now makes mother and son nervous. Okay. I was at work, and my son told me when I got home that this neighbor girl came knocking on our door, per her mother's suggestion since mom was at work, asking if he could drive her to work. I wasn't comfortable with it at all, but I felt sorry for the girl since they are nice neighbors, and she was, in fact, trying to get to work on time. Mom couldn't locate an Uber or Lyft driver. 
I believe her. We live in a rural area where there are few, if any, around in the early afternoon. I told my son, if she comes knocking at our door, not to answer it. She closes. I want to emphasize how much we like this family. I'm going to say, Mom, if you like this family, then that must mean they're probably reasonable. And if you just say to them, I, I, do, I don't want to do this. It's just, it just is not a good thing. Without making it sound like your daughter is capable of falsifying a claim. Don't, I know that's going to be the hard part. Because if you even smell like you're doing that, in these days of woke, in these days of Me Too, you know, a 16-year-old girl could in fact say anything, I would just stick with what it looks like for her daughter and for your son in the eyes of other people. That's what I would do. Because the closer you get to implying that you're just really nervous, even though even though you'd fall all over yourself trying to explain. I, not that I think your daughter would do anything like that. Not that I, I just, I just, am, I, I can't help it. I'm just nervous in these days of, of people getting in trouble for something they, no, no, just try to avoid that if you can. And say, I, I think it's just best for a, 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 an adult and a minor of the opposite sex to avoid that situation. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he taught us a great lesson. He taught us that he came for the sinner, not the virtuous. He came for you because you are imperfect, because sin comes easy to you, and sometimes you don't have the willpower to say no. But you see, if you understood the awesomeness of God and all his power and all his wonder, and he comes down to our level, he wanted to feel, how do you feel? I don't know anybody that loves anyone that much. And this imperfect being that's you and me and all of us, he did it for us. That's why you should never despair, because you're imperfect. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. What is the most spontaneous form of prayer? The Catholic Catechism says it is the prayer of petition. Through prayer of petition, we express our awareness of our true relationship with God. We are not creatures of our own making. We did not begin ourselves, nor will we end ourselves. We are not the masters of adversity. We are sinners who know we have turned away from God. Our prayer of petition is already a turning back to him. In the risen Christ, the church's petition is buoyed by hope. The first movement in the prayer of petition is asking for forgiveness. That is, says the catechism, a prerequisite for pure and righteous prayer. In the hierarchy of petitions, we pray for the kingdom, then what is necessary to welcome and cooperate with its coming. When we share in God's saving love, we understand that every need can become the object of petition. Christ is glorified by what we ask the Father in His name. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Agarendi. The program here is The Doctor Is In. This is E-Person Monday, where I get a chance to take a look at some of your E-Persons. Let's see what we've got in the stack. Uh, I want to go with this one. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this is a toughie. This is a toughie, and I have had this in my office a number of times. Parents, potential parents, really, really, really in turmoil emotionally about this. And plus, this is a heck of a way to start this out, by the way, because it says, Dr. Ray, I just finished asking God who I should go to for advice. And I believe he picked you. Oh, man, talk about leverage. Okay. My husband and I have six birth children, ages 17 to 29. We are foster parents. We have adopted three children from foster care. So they got a total of nine here. All right. Uh, The bio kids are pretty much grown. My question is regarding a child we cared for in foster care, returned to his birth mom four years ago. We've remained in his life because we care so much for him. We've helped his mom in caring for him. He has had a lot of caregivers. She is a single mom working full-time. I've been his caregiver since 2019. I started homeschooling him since... September 2020. It is apparent that he has needs that birth mom has put on hold and the doctor called Children's Protective Services in January. We offered to take custody of this young man so his needs will be addressed. He was not removed from his mother. No case was made. She agreed and we moved forward with a petition for joint custody. He's lived with us since January. He spent most of his time with us over the past two years anyway. The court date is now two days away. And I'm looking at the date on this. Mm-hmm. I think I, I briefly answered because of, the, because of the closeness of time regarding the court date and the email. But I can get in a little more detail. This almost seven-year-old boy consumes my day I homeschool my other children one of whom has special needs the other kids are grade 4 and grade 2 this young boy that I'm writing to you about is grade 1 I also sent my 4 year old to pre-k in March this child has challenging and unpredictable behavior He's been diagnosed with ADHD, he is in counseling, and he will be evaluated for autism soon. And here's where the crux of it comes. I am physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted on most days. Some people have told me that I have enabled his mom and that she's taking advantage of this. I love him. And here's, the, here's what's given her the turmoil. And I am trying to live the gospel. 
but I am afraid. I am having some anxiety. I talk to God often. I realize that having joint custody will help him in the long run, but I also realize we're embarking on a very difficult journey trying to raise a child that's not really ours through adoption. He will have weekly visits with his mother who handles things very differently than we do. Anonymous. It seems to me, Mom, that this is a balancing question. This is not a question solely of this little seven-year-old boy needs some stability, therefore I'm the one to do it. My wife and I were careful about what situations we took on when we had young children. That's just the way it is. You have to be concerned about your family and the effect on your family. We adopted a couple of older kids that for a while caused some turmoil in the family until we got a grip on it. So you're not being, this is my sense, unchristian if you say, I cannot do this. He can visit here, but I cannot, I cannot have joint custody. And here's the other complication. If he were completely in your home with only your influence, you would have a better chance of trying to socialize and moralize him. Since he sees his birth mother, who you very delicately said, does things very differently, which means he's most likely going to be exposed to things you'd never expose him to via the media via computer games, via people coming in and out of his life, via other kids, via a string of caregivers, different caregivers that pass through his life as mom works. All things considered, this is your decision, but I would say this. It is not a decision to be made thinking You're somehow abandoning heroic Christianity if you don't do this. You have a responsibility for your other children. You have a responsibility to be a functioning mom for them. And if you are completely on the edge of a cliff emotionally when this young man is there, well, in the words of Clint Eastwood... A man's got to know his limitations, and I would assume that means a woman's got to know her limitations. A mom's got to know her limitations. I cannot tell you what to do, but I can tell you some of the things to consider in making your decision. And the fact that this young man is seven and that he's probably going to be exposed to a lot of things that could Scrape away his innocence very early. You've got other children. And you have to worry about his influence on them. That's very important. It's one of the reasons why we never adopted older children into our home with younger children because we knew that the odds of doing so would... would the odds of something unexpected and negative happening of doing so would go up. So I think that's what you're facing. 
but you are not any less a Christian if you decide this is not something, all things considered, I can do. Father Benedict Groeschel. Oh, I love reverence. Wherever I go in the world, I usually go to visit the religious buildings. And no matter what I see, I see reverence. Or I've been in temples and mosques where I saw more reverence and awe of God than I see in Christian churches, even sometimes in Catholic churches. Oh, yes. Let me say it. And when I was a boy, Catholics were much more reverent and respectful in church. You never, ever spoke in church. I was a young priest. A man had a heart attack at the beginning of Mass. I stopped the Mass. We prayed for the man. While the police were coming, the ambulance, they removed him from the church. He didn't die. Not one word was spoken. The police officers and the ambulance attendants who came whispered, respect. I wish it were true today. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Jesus calls his followers disciples. That's the word that we use in English, but really in the Greek New Testament, it's the word for student. Now, you might say the school of Jesus Christ uh, is more of a trade school or a technical school than it is a liberal arts college because in the school of Jesus Christ, you learn how to live like the master lives. But it is a school. The teacher isn't just passing along information. The teacher is passing along knowledge of the ultimate purposes of God. The master is passing along the knowledge of life and the will of God concerning man. The school of Jesus Christ is a real thing. And if we are disciples of his, we've entered into that school. And by paying attention to his teaching, we will conform our lives to his. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta for Eastern on EWTN Radio. doctor told me, he said, okay, he says 30 crunches a day. And I thought, that's a lot of chocolate, but I suppose I could give it a shot. I'm at doctor's orders, right? Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Ray Grandy. Program doctor is in version of the program, E-Person Monday. It's where I tackle, and I'm going to use that word tackle. It's a manly word. Some of the emails that come in and uh, see what we can do to help out. We adopted our daughter three years ago at age two. She has reactive attachment disorder and still struggles to accept connection. Okie dokie, stop right there. In my adoption book, I talk about reactive attachment disorder. And again, it's... It's a confusing thing because it's not really officially a disorder. I know that's going to come as a surprise to you. And a better way to put it is attachment disorder, but it 
it's more likely to happen when you have a a person bounced around, bounced around, bounced around. And someone has asked us of our ten children, four of whom we got older, did any of them have any kind of attachment problems? Depends how you define it. If you say it took them a while to connect with us, yeah, a few of them did. Generally, not the ones we got at birth, but the ones we got older. Yeah, that that happened. Okay, you can understand that. But here's what I really want to address with this. She asks any resources, and I, I sent her some resources. It's been difficult, she says, to find support that will encourage and help our daughter while supporting our whole family because they have four other young children. And who does not victimize or separate our daughter? Do you have any of this kind of experience with your 10 children? If so, it's difficult to know how to parent her in a way she needs or will understand for her as for her and not against her. Okay, Uh, in the adoption book, I talk about this idea that attachment disorder can explain everything that these kids are struggling with. A lot of times the picture is, now, they got this child at age two, so we can know several things. In all likelihood, her history was not good. Obviously, she was taken from birth mom, probably placed in foster care, either shortly after birth or at some point, which means that you can know that her beginnings were tough. If in the womb she didn't get good care, if she was exposed to alcohol or drugs, poor prenatal care, lack of nutrition, whatever was involved, or if birth mom herself had a number of temperamental struggles that could genetically have an influence. All of that's in the picture, which means that this little girl could be very much harder to socialize than the four biological children that mom is writing about because I'm going to assume that mom's womb was healthy and clean and there was a lot of early stimulation, a lot of love, a lot of cuddling, a lot of language, a lot of rocking, a lot of human facial connection, all of that stuff. When that is lacking or there it is not there, you have early on neurological, you want to call it slowness to develop, you can call it that. But it can indicate that this child is going to have a harder time socializing, going to have a harder time emotionally connecting, is going to have a harder time picking up the morals you want to teach this child. That's just part of the, the whole picture. So when somebody says, do you think a kid has attachment disorder? I said, well, if he does have a problem with attachment emotionally to his caregivers, his, his parents, it's generally in the context of a whole lot of other stuff. Because this little one did not get the healthy start neurologically that all the research says is so important to get. Now, that doesn't mean you can't overcome it, but it does mean it's going to be a lot harder in a lot of cases. So that's the first thing. I would not worry about putting the attachment disorder label on it. So what? You're dealing with your daughter as she is. 
and raising her in all likelihood will be a different experience from raising your four biological children. That's something I can pretty much say on the basis of seeing this in families with both adopted children who have had very risky first starts and bio kids who had very healthy first starts. So, I personally would not look at this label of reactive attachment disorder and then say, therefore, I have to raise her very differently. When we adopted our twins, they were four. And they definitely were not socialized like typical four-year-olds. And at one point I said to my wife, you know, honey, uh, you know, they're, they're getting more than their fair share of discipline with the other kids. At that point we had six, five, four, four, three, and one in the family. I said, maybe, maybe we ought to adjust our standards. She said, no, Ray. My wife's wiser than I am, naturally. She said, no. She said, we'll give them more hugs and kisses because they'll need those. But we're not going to change our standards. You're not allowed to hit a sibling. I don't care the fact that you got diagnosed with this, that, and the other. And, and by the way, my son did come, come to us with diagnoses. We're not going to allow him to hit a sibling simply because he has a diagnosis. And that's what I would say to you, Mom. You're not going to allow your daughter to do the kinds of things you wouldn't allow the other kids to do. You're going to teach your daughter in the same way you would teach the other kids. And, and basically ignore that diagnosis. Yeah, you, you may have to hug her and kiss her more because she just doesn't emotionally connect like the others. When you're hugging her, it's like hugging a pillar that doesn't hug back. That can change. That can change with time. But in the meantime, you don't sacrifice your family standards because you're not sure what this label means. That'll cause you more problems than anything else. If you say, well, I'm not really sure I should hold her accountable for this. I'm not really sure I should have this standard with her. I'm not really sure I should require this. She doesn't want us. She doesn't want to fold her hands for saying grace at the table. So maybe she's got this kind of problem and she doesn't feel like she connects. So that if we make her fold her hands at the table to say grace like the rest of us, she's going to feel like she's the odd person out. You start doing all that kind of second guessing. And all you're going to do is make your parenting so much more complicated and and probably less effective, less competent. I don't know where you got the label. It's not unusual that adoptive kids get this label. But keep in mind, reactive attachment disorder is is really not an official diagnosis. It's among the many, many, many diagnoses. Middle child syndrome. All those kinds of things that are that are called diagnoses because they get into the popular lexicon so at this point you view your daughter as who she is with all of her socialization difficulties with all of her emotional struggles with all of her perhaps intellectual delays and recognize that you're going to incorporate her in your family with the same standards the same morals and it may take her longer to get there i'm dr ray we did not come here as enemies we came only with friendly intentions to talk, to ask your aid. Dr. Ray has more great advice coming up. Don't go anywhere. And that's a doctor's order. This program brought to you in part by the nonprofit Angelicum Academy. This is Father Joseph Essio. I have an important message for all you homeschooling families. You can get an outstanding and fully accredited Catholic college education 
and save $100,000. To learn how, go to angelicum.net. That's angelicum.net. Earn 75 college credits and an associate's degree in high school for just $3,500 a year. And earn your BA degree just one year later at age 19. Check this out at angelicum.net. We need EWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Step away from the turmoil of the day. In A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica, you'll find lessons that touch every aspect of our relationship with God and our neighbor. These meditations and prayers will help you turn to Jesus in your everyday life. A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica from EWTN Publishing. Now available at EWTNRC.com or call 1-800-854-6316. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. they offer you fries when you drive through and you order something they go would you like fries with that i mean it's a standard subsequent question would you like fries with that i think they ought to use the would you like fries with that with a lot of things they go to the bank uh ray grandy your mortgage was approved would you like fries with that you know uh this uh this suit here uh this suit seems to fit you would you like fries with it just just seems to add a a pleasantness to it doesn't it my daughter when she was 16, worked at Wendy's. Believe it or not, this happened. Somebody drove through. She told us about this later. And they ordered just fries, large fries. And she said, would you like fries with that? Hey, she was just going by the playbook. Dr. Ray, we recently moved to a new home and starting to get to know our neighbors. One of them was brought up Catholic, received all his sacraments, but left, saying that his parents shoved it down his throat. Okay, I want to stop there. That is, in in one of my books called When Faith Causes Family Friction, that is something that young adults now throw at their parents. You made me. You made me go to church. You made me pray the rosary. You took me to confession. You jammed it down my throat. Okay, do not, do not give credibility to that one at all. That is not the reason. The reason is I just don't buy it anymore. I don't want to be morally constrained by it anymore. I want to live the culture way now. That's what it is. This is just a slap at parents. You know, you made me eat vegetables. That's why I eat nothing but donuts now. You made me apologize to my sister. That's why I don't apologize to anybody now. You made me save money. That's why I just spend like crazy now. You see what I mean? You see what you see what that does? 
that basically says, you tried to instruct me and guide me, and therefore, the very thing that you tried to instruct me and guide me in is the very thing I'm going to reject. You could say that about everything a parent tries to teach. All right. He is now into some alien religion and believes Jesus is coming in a spaceship. Now, I don't know if that's just a flaky thought or if, in fact, it's a psychotic delusion. I can't know that. But I don't think that's the crux of her question. She says he also believes other very outrageous theories. All right. Now, does this mean that this young man is slipping into a psychosis or is in a psychosis? I don't know. I can't I can't diagnose that from here. Depends on the nature of the outrageousness. So she says, "How do I debate this with him?" You don't. You don't debate it with him. If it is a psychosis, you have no chance. If it's not, if it's something he's just really locked into and he's willing to believe anything flaky rather than the religion that he was raised with, okay. I'm very concerned for his soul. But I'm speechless with how bizarre these thought processes are. If they are that bizarre... I mean, you're looking at this thinking, yeah, you may not be a trained clinician, but you're thinking, this is really weird. This is clashing into reality. And the more I talk with him, the more odd stuff he comes up with. The best thing to do is just not get into that circle of his thinking. If, in fact there is a psychosis then hopefully the parents will recognize this and get him proper medical attention if it's not a psychosis but in fact when he jettisoned his Catholic upbringing he replaced it with a lot of flaky stuff and he's locked into this flaky stuff I personally would not debate him at all about this. But the only thing I might do is if he comes around and he wants to tell me about this, I might say something very vague like, how did you decide that? Why do you think that? What evidence do you have for that? That's all I would say. And if it became very clear to me that when I asked those questions, he became hostile and defensive. He read it as though I was challenging him, even though my questions were designed to be vague. Then I would simply avoid any interaction of that type. Now, you didn't say how old he was. You didn't say what age. But the typical age of onset of a psychosis, is, and it can happen at any time, but the typical age is 19 to, say, 23, 24. I don't know. I don't know exactly what his situation is, but I do know you probably would just best not get immersed in it. 
Well, I got to run. I thank you for joining me here on This Doctor Is In, on This E-Person Monday, and I thank you, Andrew Kruchek, for all you do there at Ave. Walk with God, hold your children tightly by the hand, and stay on For information walk. on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Discover the Church's inspiring message for us about the later years of life through the 2021 Catholic Seniors Conference delivered to you. Order your DVD, CD, or online link to hear two keynote speakers, Archbishop Gustavo Garcia Sierra's message, and a rosary with meditations for seniors. Catholic Seniors Conference delivered to you. Call 210-521-3377 or visit pilgrimcenterofhope.org. Hi, I'm Luciano Churciati with Food Related, proud sponsor of KJMA 89.7. Because it's not just radio, it's radio for your soul. Radio that offers a service to our community. And at Food Related, we have a passion for service. From the moment we receive your order to when it is delivered to you, our staff treats your groceries with as much care as they would treat their own. To learn more, please visit us at foodrelated.com. We can't wait to serve you. Colby Prison Ministries invites all adults interested in prison ministry to attend their annual conference at St. Peter the Apostle Catholic Church in Bernie, July 24th from 7.30 a.m. until 5.30 p.m. There will be a great lineup of speakers to include Bishop Yannick of the Archdiocese of San Antonio and EWTN's Father Mitch Pacwa. The cost of the conference is free, but you must register to attend. To register, visit ColbyPrisonMinistries.com. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floresville, San Antonio. On the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. And also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone protect God's holy church from the snares of the enemy and from all adversity. Shield too each one of us by your constant protection, so that supported by your example and your aid, we may be able to live piously, to die in holiness, and to obtain eternal happiness in heaven. Amen. This prayer to St. Joseph, spouse of the Virgin Mary, virginal father of Jesus and patron of the Universal Church, was composed by Pope Leo XIII in his 1889 encyclical, Quamquam Plurius. Pope Francis has granted a plenary indulgence for praying it this year. <laughs> 